My name is Grant Goldstein. I'll be reading Genesis 6, 9 through 13. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. Hey Grace242, about a month or so ago my kids asked me if they could play with my Legos that I had as a child. So we went down to the basement and hauled the tub of my childhood Legos up to the living room and now the kids play with those Legos almost every day. And when I play with them I'm in the process of building an old pirate ship of mine. When I was a kid I wanted more castle Legos but I always seemed to get pirate sets for some reason. So I had all these pirate sets and then what I would do is I would take all the time that it took to build every single one of my pirate sets so that once all of my pirate sets were built I would have this huge war, make-believe war between the good guy pirates and the bad guy pirates and, and it was okay because I could destroy the sets while I had this imaginary pirate war. So as a kid I kind of had this process of creation, I would create the pirate sets and then decreation, I would have my make-believe pirate war where all the sets would get destroyed. As a kid I would create Lego sets and then I would decreate Lego sets when I had my pirate war. And today we are looking at the flood events. And by all accounts, the flood is a decreation event. And what you can do is you can actually contrast the creation events of Genesis 1 and 2 with the decreation event of the flood. Today we're going to contrast the decreation events of the flood with the creation events of Genesis 1 and 2. So let me ask a question to the kids in the house church. So kids, this question is for you. Why? did God flood the earth? And if you know the answer, you can just shout it out to your house church. Why did God wipe out every living thing with the flood? Now you may have already said the answer, but let's find the answer in Genesis 6 verses 11 to 12. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. Why did God wipe out the earth? Because it had become corrupt. The state of the earth already in Genesis 6 is total corruption. Now I'm going to ask another question, and this one goes for the whole house church this time. So open up your Bibles to Genesis 1 because you're going to want that in order to figure out the answer. You're going to become Bible sleuths today. I remember learning the word sleuth from reading Hardy Boy novels when I was in middle school. And then accelerated reading stole my love of reading away from me because they told me that I could only read one Hardy Boy novel per quarter so they took away the one thing that I liked to read which completely destroyed reading for me all the way until 2007 and I discovered that I enjoyed reading blogs about the Green Bay Packers which reunited me with my love of reading. Thanks a lot Usper Christian School for stealing my love of reading. Anyway, Bible Sleuths. Alright, the question for the house church is this. In Genesis 6 the state of the earth is corruption. What is the state of the earth in Genesis 1? And you'll find the answer in Genesis 1 verse 3, Genesis 1 verse 10, Genesis 1 verse 12, Genesis 1 verse 18, Genesis 1 verse 21, verse 25, and verse 31. You got it? 
You looking at Genesis 1? All right, let's fill in this blank on the screen together. Creation in Genesis 1 is, say it with me, good. So here's the contrast. In Genesis 6, creation is already totally corrupted. And in Genesis 1, creation was created to be good. So already from Genesis 1 to Genesis 6, we've had a corruption of the earth. This is why God decides to wipe it out, because it had become so corrupt that he's just going to start over. Now, if you've been watching our house church message videos, you've been following Bob Turner as he preaches us through Romans. And I think it was the first message that Bob preached at Romans. He preached it from his backyard where he had a massive project going on because there were so many weeds in his backyard that his backyard couldn't be saved. Instead, he had to completely remove all of the greenery, including the soil. And then he had to put new soil in and plant new grass. He just had to start completely over. His backyard had gotten so bad that he had to start completely over. And something similar is happening in Genesis 6. The world has already gotten so bad that God has to start completely over again. So we have this creation event in Genesis 1 where God creates the earth as good and he speaks good over it seven times. And then already in Genesis 6, we have this decreation event beginning because the world has become so corrupt. Let's look at our next contrast. Hopefully you still have your Bibles open to Genesis 1. Now let's turn the page and we're going to read Genesis 2 verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils and the man became a living person. So God creates Adam and what does his spirit do? What does God's spirit, his breath, his ruach is the Hebrew word. What does his ruach do? He breathes the breath of life into Adam. Now let's contrast Adam having the breath of life from God breathed into him with Genesis 6 verse 3. Now I gotta warn you as you turn there, Genesis 6, 1 through 4 are four of perhaps the most bizarre and perplexing verses in the entire Bible. And we don't have time to parse all of those verses today, but we do have time to look at verse 3 which is perhaps the least confusing of the four verses. All right, let's look at Genesis 6, verse 3. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. Now, there's two ways to read this verse. Now, the first way of reading this verse is that God's going to shorten the lifespan of humanity. Because up until the flood, people have been living a really long time. In fact, if you look at the genealogy that immediately precedes these verses in Genesis 5, we're told of a man named Methuselah who lives 969 years. That's a long time. That's almost living for an entire millennium. And so one way to interpret this is to say that, okay, after the flood, human lifespans aren't going to be so long anymore. However, after the flood, we still see people with really long lifespans. It takes a while before the human lifespan gets down to what we're accustomed to today. But the other way of reading this verse is that a countdown clock has started from the time of this verse for 120 years until the time of the flood. In other words, God is pushing begin on a countdown clock that reads 120 years. So from Genesis 6 verse 3 until the flood is a countdown of 120 years before he floods the earth and actually takes away the breath of life from people. 
And this reading makes sense. Let's look at Genesis 7, verses 21 to 22. All the living things on earth died. Birds, domestic animals, wild animals, small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the people. And here's the key. Everything that breathed and lived on dry land died. So the other way of understanding this is that in 120 years, God is going to remove the breath of life from the entire earth except for those he preserves on Noah's Ark. In fact, verse 23 continues, God wiped out every living thing on the earth, people, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and the birds of the sky, all were destroyed. The only people who survived were Noah and those with him in the boat. So here's our contrast. At creation, God is breathing the breath of life into humans. But at the decreation event of the flood, God is removing the breath of life from his creation. I think it's important as we look at God giving the breath of life and taking the breath of life, that we're reminded that it's God who numbers our days. It's God who gives us our time on this earth. In fact, look at Job 14 verse 5. You decided the length of our lives. You know how many months we will live, and we are not given a minute longer. God is the one who assigns our number of days. Pastor John Piper has this illustration where he tells this story that he read in Reader's Digest about a couple who retired early. He was 59, she was 51, and they moved to Florida to live out their dream of doing mainly three things, boating, playing softball, and collecting seashells. And here's how John Piper describes this story from his mind's eye. This was the dream. Come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God-given life, and let the last great work of your life, before you give an account to your Creator, be this, playing softball and collecting shells. Picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells? That is a tragedy. And the really sad part is that if I'm honest with myself, and I think about early retirement and, and moving into a life of leisure, it sort of appeals to me. There's part of that that sounds pretty good. Yeah, be done working and just do whatever I want to do with my life. But that would be a waste of my life. The question for us is, what are we going to have to offer God from our lives when we stand before Him someday? When we stand before Him someday, He'll ask us, did you serve me? Did you love me? Did you follow me? Did you reproduce disciples of me? And what are we going to have to offer when He asks us that? Is our offer going to be, look, Lord, here's 10,000 hours put into the game Minecraft. Oh, and take note, I built some churches in the game too. Is our offer going to be, here, Lord, I had a perfectly manicured yard. Is our offer going to be, I posted 500,000 times on social media and 50,000 of them were Bible verses. What will we have to offer God someday when he takes the breath of life away from us? makes me think of the parable that Jesus told about the three servants. Their master was going on a long journey, and so in preparation for the master's journey, the master left five talents with one of his servants, two talents with another one of his servants, and then one talent with a third of his servants. And the master went away, and the servants with five and two talents both invested the money, and the servant with one talent dug a hole and hid the talent in the ground. And when the master returned, the servants with five and two talents who had invested their talents doubled the money. And the master told them, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful stewards. But the servant who just dug the hole and hid the talent in the ground dug it up 
and returned the one talent to the master, who was furious and said to him, why didn't you do anything with my money? You could have even just put it in the bank and it would have earned some interest. You did absolutely nothing. What servant will we be when we meet God someday? I hope to be the servants with five or two talents who actually returned God's investment. God, you gave me this breath of life, and now here's what I did with it. I don't want to be the servant who had one talent, who just took God's offer of this life, took God's offer of the breath of life, and just wasted it. God is the one who gives the breath of life at creation, and then at the decreation of the flood, God removes the breath of life. He is the one who numbers our days. We better make something out of this life that he's given us. Someday when we stand before him, I want to give him um, increased investment on the life that he's given me. Open your Bibles back up to Genesis 1. We're going to read verse 28, and we're going to look at another contrast between creation and decreation. Let's look at Genesis 1, verse 28. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. God creates humans and he invests them with the power to be sub-rulers, ruling over creation under God, ruling creation on God's behalf, extending God's rule and reign over the globe. But already by the events of the flood, humans have followed in the way of Adam and Eve. Rather than extending God's rule and reign, they've tried to seize the status of God and rule on their own terms instead of on God's terms. They've extended their own rule and reign instead of ruling on God's behalf. In fact, Noah's own father, Lamech, becomes the first polygamist in Scripture because he takes two wives for himself, and then he boasts of all of his power and all of his might. Look at Genesis 4, verses 23 to 24. One day Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice! Listen to me, you wives of Lamech! I have killed a man who attacked me, a young man who wounded me. If someone who kills Cain is punished seven times, then the one who kills me will be punished 77 times. Do you see how he boasts of his own power and his own authority? I kind of wonder how Morgan would respond if I talked to her this way. Listen to me, you wife of Bill. Hear my voice. <laughs> that would not be very good for my marriage. But already the earth has devolved and gone the way of Adam and Eve, seizing the status of God and spreading humans' own rule and reign instead of ruling on God's behalf. And so we have these humans who have devolved, and God is sorry that he made the earth, so he's going to decreate it. But in the process of decreating it through the flood, he finds one faithful sub-ruler, one faithful person who will rule on God's behalf. Look at Genesis 6 verse 9, and then we'll read 7, 1. 6, 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. 7, 1. When everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, Go into the boat with all your family, for among all the peoples of the earth, I can see that you alone are righteous. God looks over the earth and all he sees are people seizing power for themselves and ruling on their behalf. But then he finds Noah, one righteous man, one man who feared God, one man who didn't rule on his own terms, but who ruled on God's terms, one man who sought God. And this is the man through whom God will decreate and then recreate the earth. 
Noah was the only righteous person that God could find. And things aren't all that different today. Look at Romans 3, verses 10 through 12. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. No one is righteous, not even one. Nobody is righteous. Nobody has right standing before God because we're all sinful. We all go the way of Adam and Eve. We all seize God's status for ourselves and we all rule on our own behalf instead of on God's behalf. There's only one person who has right standing before God and that's God's own son, Jesus. The one who ruled on God's behalf like we were created to do but never did because of our sin. Look at Jesus' baptism in Matthew 3. Jesus asks John the Baptist to baptize him, and John the Baptist says, This is backwards, Jesus. I'm the one that should be baptizing you. And Jesus counters in Matthew 3:15, saying, But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is the one who fulfills all righteousness. Jesus is the one who has right standing before God. None of us do. All of us seize power for ourselves and rebel. All of us are subject to the flood just like those people that were flooded back in Genesis 6. Jesus is the only one who is righteous. Jesus is the only one who has right standing before the Father. You know, all of us deserve the flood. There's only one way that we get out of the flood, and that's through God's promises. His promised Redeemer, Jesus, who fulfilled the righteous life that we were created to live, but never did so because of a rebellion and because of our sin. Jesus is the only one who stands righteous before God. So how do you make the most of these days that you've been given? How do you make the most of every breath of life that God has breathed into you? You cling to the one who has right standing before God. You cling to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's how you make the most of these days. All right, Grace 242, we've made it through three contrasts between creation and decreation. And next week, we're going to do part two as we finish out the contrasts between creation and the decreation of the flood. I'll see you next time, Grace 242.